Support for all the books comes from Talenti. When Talenti makes gelato and sorbetto, they tend to get a little overzealous. Did they need to use so many raspberries in their Roman raspberry sorbetto that the machine broke? Did they need to try 25 different chai teas to find the perfect spice blend for their vanilla chai gelato? Did they have to invent giant mint steepers to make their Mediterranean mint super minty? Does their obsessiveness make Talenti gelato and sorbetto the greatest? You be the judge. But yes, it does make them the greatest. They're also the judge. Talenti, the delicious is in the details. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 117, and today we are talking about books released on July 25th, 2017, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. Hi there. We're fresh off some quality time together. Yes, you were in Maine this weekend. I was, and it was awesome. Yes, it was really fun. So we get to hang out, we got matching Counting Crows tattoos, and... (laughs) Had lunch. I was a little sad that you didn't get to stop by on your way back to the airport, but you got a taste of what it's like to live around here and the traffic that I deal with on a daily basis. I-95 between Boston and Portland, Maine in the summer is just bonkers. Yes. They should change our slogan to Maine the way a parking lot should be because it's just ridiculous. I did six, yeah. I did successfully um, find the radio station in each city that I drove through. That was for eighties, nineties, and today. So I felt like you were with me when I was listening <laughs> to all my nineties music. Um, and it was so good to see each other's faces. Yes, and, and hang out. And, and it's weird. I, guess, I mean, it feels like I see you all the time because we talk all the time. Right, but we don't actually see each other that no. often. Mm-mm. So why don't we talk about some books? Because we didn't really do that when we were hanging out. People kind of don't believe me when I tell them this. But like when we hang out, we just hang out like people. We don't really talk about books. I have to say, like, I was sad that you didn't get to stop by my house, you know, and like see my little hobbit house and stuff. But I was also a little relieved because like people come over and they're like, you have so many books. But I was a little concerned that you were going to come over and be like, girl, real talk. (laughs) Like this is, this is out of control. Well, it's not like I haven't, I haven't seen pictures of the Hobbit (laughs) hole. I know what to expect. Yeah. But I just, I love books so much. And oh my goodness, this first book is going to be one of those books that I don't even know that I can put it into words, like how much I love it, but I'm going to try. And it is called Careers for Women by Joanna Scott. And it starts out in 1958 The narrator is named Maggie Gleason, or one of the narrators, the main character, I should say. She and a bunch of other young women are applying for a job in public relations at the Port Authority in New York City. And their boss, the woman that that they want to hire them, or potential boss, is Lee Jaffe, who is like a legend in the PR world. Like, she's... She got all this advice for them on, like, how to make it in a man's world. And, like, it's, it's like, a little Mad Men-ish, like, the beginning and stuff. Mm. And the book jumps around. Um, it, it goes to 1964. And now she, Lee Jaffe is leading uh, some reporters 
through New York City and they come to a um, protest about uh, the building of the World Trade Center. Like there are men out there who don't want, who are mad that the Port Authority took this land to build the World Trade Centers and they're protesting and there's also a group of prostitutes who were sort of like soliciting the men in the picketing line and they've been arrested and Lee Jaffe sees one of them and she convinces the police officers to let her go and she gives her her card and says, call me if you want a job. Like, she sees something in this woman. The woman's name is Pauline. And she sees something in her and she offers her a job. And then you find out that Pauline uh, is used to be a receptionist a long time ago. Um, she had a daughter. She's not married, but she had a daughter. Um, some bad things happened during the birth. Her daughter has learning disabilities. And she's, like, doing everything that she can to support herself and her daughter. Um, and she does take the job from Lee and becomes the receptionist. And then it jumps to 1988, I think. And it sounds like I'm giving stuff away, but I'm not because this all happens in the first few pages. Um, there is a giant fire at an aluminum factory. Um, and we find out that the man who runs the factory, Bob Whitaker, um, he knew Pauline when she was younger. His son is engaged to a woman whose father died of chemical poisoning when he worked at the factory. Um, there are mutant amphibians, like, living in the waters near the factory. Like, is the factory to blame? Um, how is the plant tied to the World Trade Center? Like, there's some deals going on there. And then it jumps to, like, Pauline goes away for a weekend in 1974, and she leaves her daughter with Maggie, um, and she never comes back. So, like, you don't know what happened to Pauline. And the book, it, and I'm not going to lie, it's a little confusing at first. It's like a whole bunch of information coming at you really fast. But hang in there because it's so gorgeous and amazing. And how she fits all the pieces together and wraps it up. Like, it's just, you'll get to the end and you'll, and you'll just marvel at, like, what just happened. It's, it's amazing. Um, and it's so fascinating. It's, like, history and, and you know, women's rights and... Um, class. It's just, it's so fantastic. I'm Now is the part where I can't make words about it, um, so I'm just going to stop. But again, it's called Careers for Women by Joanna Scott. Also, she's written some other books. Apparently, one of them was shortlisted for the Pulitzer, but I had no idea. So now I'm going to go back and read everything that she has written, because wow. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I started off, well, remember a couple of weeks ago, I read a book that I loved and I read it like all in one sitting. And then I found out that the publication date had been delayed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that book is out today Yay. and it's Madam Zero. It's a collection of short stories by Sarah Hall. This is the first collection that I've like really loved in a long time because it sits in that place between like uncanny and disturbing, but also some of the pieces feel very slice of life and grounded in reality. It reminded me of Karen Russell. It reminded me of Diving Bells by Lucy Wood, which I really loved. In the very first story, which won the BBC Short Story Prize, uh, this man's wife turns into a fox. Um, and you don't know that that's really what's happening at first. Like you can see that he witness her like she's behaving strangely and then she gets sick and she starts to transform but he doesn't know what's happening until it has happened that like they're out for a walk and his wife is a fox now um, and he's I loved the approach that she takes with this story because he doesn't like freak out as a person probably would he's like oh well that's my wife and she's a fox now so I guess I better figure out how to take care of my wife in fox form so they go home and he like gives her a dish of water on the floor and figures out what to feed a fox and is trying to figure out how to keep her happy and keep her in the house as a fox even though the foxier she gets and the longer that she stays in that form the more she 
wants to like be outside and kill her own food and it's this real struggle for him like he has to tell the housekeeper not to come by and everyone thinks that maybe he's done something with his wife or maybe they've gotten separated or something is happening and it's just this very strange premise but made completely believable by Sarah Hall's writing Uh, there's another one where a kid has escaped from a commune that he was raised in and the whole story is written as the caseworker's notes and you're just put right into the middle of it Uh, there is one where uh, the like slice of life one that I really loved is about a young woman who goes for a swim every day at the like municipal pool and just on her way home from the swim, she runs into a former lover that we find out is the person she was having an affair with previously. She used to go say she was going swimming every day and in that same time go spend time with him. And now they've run into each other. Her life is so different. She's married and had a child. His life is different. And it, it's just quiet. That one really just resonates quietly and Every story in this collection, there are nine of them. It's a pretty like small, compact short story collection. Everyone drops you right into the middle of something that is made completely believable within just a couple of pages. And I think that's the challenge of short fiction. And it's what really good short fiction does very well is establish like a whole world and a character's whole interior life where you don't know all the details, but you have what feels like a full sense of them um, within that those couple of pages, those 10 pages or 20 pages that you're reading. I really, really loved it. I've never read Sarah Hall before, so I didn't know until I was researching her for the show, for the show that um, she's been been nominated for the Man Booker Prize. She was on the shortlist for a book called The Wolf Border. Um, She's one of the most well-known British writers working today. So I need to go back into her backlist. But if you are into the short stories and you like that, those like kind of surreal, but also very emotionally believable, um, pick up Madam Zero by Sarah Hall. I also highly recommend Electric Michelangelo, which I think was her first novel. Oh. And also... Mm -hmm. um, Because I'm super lazy, I didn't actually look into this, but I, too, read this book. And uh, the first story about the fox, I read a book three years ago that came out in 1922 from one of the Bloomsbury Group members, and it's the exact same story. So it's called Lady into Fox, and I wonder if that's, like, a folktale, and, like, they kind of rewrote it in their own way. It's like, um, do your own twist on... Yeah, but it's the same thing. Like, he's out with his wife, and she turns into a fox, and he brings her home, and he's trying to keep her in the house. And I was like, wait a second. And then I was like, I could Google to see you. And then I was like, ooh, something shiny. And I forgot until just now, so... <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. Yeah, so it's possible that's, like, a, a famous... Someone out there, one of the ATBs knows. Most of them probably yeah. know. Tell us, little ATBs. <laughs> Share your wisdom. Uh, Before we roll on, we need to get to our first sponsor this week. Our good friends at Third Love have come back. You all know by now that when it comes to bra shopping, it's all about finding the right fit for you. If you have ever been bra shopping, you know what a struggle that can be. And there's only one lingerie brand that offers bra sizes from double A all the way up through G and some signature half cup sizes. And that's third love. So, you know, no matter who you are or how hard of a time you have had trying to find a bra that fits you properly, you have a really good shot with third love. They use thousands of real women's measurements and the bras are made with this super smoothing memory foam that forms itself to your body instead of having to, you know, force your body into a bra so that their bras fit better and they feel great. There is a perfect bra for everyone and you can find yours in just seconds by answering a few simple questions from Third Love's Fit Finder. 
use it now. It really doesn't take very long. You can try one of their best-selling bras free for 30 days. You just pay the shipping, and one of Third Love's signature 24-7 bras is on its way. Cut off the tags. See how a perfect-fitting bra fits into your life. Wear it. Wash it. Do what you do in a bra. You might even forget that it's on. If your new Third Love bra is not your new favorite, you can always return or exchange it for free. So go to thirdlove.com books now to find your perfect fitting bra and try it for 30 days. That is thirdlove.com books. Again, thirdlove.com books. Try your new favorite bra for free. Always glad to have them on the show. Yes. I feel like more relaxed and comfortable All right, lady. just talking about them. I know. It's like a Pavlovian response now. I'm like, oh, just remember how lovely you felt with your third love bra. Feel that feeling. It's pretty funny. So what's up next? Something completely different. It's Fierce Kingdom by Jin Phillips. This is probably the most intense, stressful book that I've ever read. If you don't like being stressed out or you have a weak constitution, I do not recommend it. Um, but I read this whole thing in one sitting and it felt like my heart was in my throat and the fact that like something imaginary could make me feel that way is incredible. But also it's stressful because situations like this do actually occur. Um, it's, it's about a, a woman named Joan. Uh, she is at the zoo with her four-year-old son Lincoln. They are playing uh, in, in a, like, sand pit dinosaur search for your own fossil sort of enclosure thing in the back of the zoo. And it's time for the zoo to close and, and they're getting ready to leave. And as they start making their way towards the front of the zoo, they hear fire, what they think is firecrackers. And so she's like, oh, well, that seems ill-advised to be, you know, shooting off firecrackers in a zoo with animals and stuff. <laughs> Um, but, Not the best. But as she gets closer to the front, she sees at first what she thinks are scarecrows laying on the ground and then realizes they are actually people. Um, and she just has this instinct to grab Lincoln and she runs and she runs back towards a different part of the zoo. And she her she's getting a text now from her husband saying, please tell me that you're not at the zoo. And she's like, yes, we're at the zoo. Um, and he's telling her that the news is reporting that there is a single shooter in the zoo and he is taking hostages. And so she takes Lincoln and she runs and she hides. And the book takes place over a four hour period. It gets dark out. The shooter's looking for people. And she's, you know, she's now, it's a little bit like, like room. It reminded me because she has this four year old and she's trying to, keep him quiet but he doesn't really understand like what's going on and she doesn't want to terrorize him by explaining like what's actually happening but at the same time you know she needs him to be quiet and she needs to hide and you know things are going on and they can hear you know danger getting closer and, and moving away and it becomes this thing of like you know and she you know she encounters other people who are hiding like how would how would you behave like would you give away your hiding spot to save someone else would you you know, do this, like, what would you do? Because no one knows how they would react in this sort of situation. Um, it's remarkably sad and scary. Like I said, you know, it's because things like this do happen. And also, good things do not happen to a lot of the animals in the zoo. So it's, like I said, it's not for everyone. But I couldn't put it down. Like, I just, it, it was incredible. It's quite the thriller. Um, I will say this one thing. There is something that happens towards the beginning of the book that... 
people, whether they're thinking clearly or not thinking clearly, would never do. But you have to, like, go with it to make the story move forward. But I like to look at reviews after I read the books, and everyone said this very same thing. They're like, nobody in their right mind would have done that. Nobody would have done that in general. Like, that just wouldn't have happened. So you kind of have to, like, suspend your disbelief for this little thing, because I was, like, reading it, I was like, no way would you do that. So, um, but like I said, it's so intense, and it's beautifully written. Um, it's called Fierce Kingdom by Jin Phillips. Right. Something that I didn't have to suspend any disbelief for is Hate to Want You. It is the first in Alicia Rye's new Forbidden Hearts series. Alicia Rye is a fantastic romance writer, and this is her first book with Avon Books, which is a HarperCollins romance imprint, and they are just awesome over there. They publish most of the romance that I read and love and end up talking about here on the show, which, for the record, I went back and looked and is not actually that often. Um, But every now and then I get like email or tweets from people who are like, ooh, romance, which like we all know that romance is the redheaded stepchild of the publishing world. Um, But, you know, I read it sometimes. And if you think that romance is only for ladies or if you think that it's like the one guilty pleasure genre you just can't touch but you've never tried it, I would encourage you to reconsider those notions. That's what we are here for, to help you find new books to read, maybe even things that you haven't considered for yourself. Um, So anyway, Hate to Want You is about Livy Kane and Nicholas Chandler. They have had a very steamy relationship for quite some time, but it's been 10 years since they broke up. And that breakup involved... um, a tragedy that related to both their parents on, you know, his, one of his parents and one of her parents. Uh, There are business conflicts because each family runs businesses and some of the family members used to own businesses together between their two families. So it's all been very complicated. After they broke up though, they could not quite stay away from each other. So one night each year happens to be Livy's birthday Nicholas finds out where she is in the in the world or in the country traveling. She's a tattoo artist and she goes all over the place. And he goes and they have one night of, you know, the good stuff. Um, and that's that's it. But then there's a year on the 10th year. She doesn't show up and he has to go. He goes to find her to find out, like, what's up? What's going on? Is it finally over between us? But, of course, they still can't quite stay away from each other. So there's the will they, won't they, and they do. And it's so well-written and so fun. I love when a romance, especially contemporary romances, have characters that are not, like, 19 and completely innocent and wide-eyed. And so it was really fun to read, like, saucy, sexy snarky, really smart adult characters. These people are like in their late 20s and early 30s and they know what they want in life and they're struggling to figure out what they want from each other and their families are complicated. And it also just happens to be really hot when she gets down to the love scenes. Um, I have really enjoyed Alicia Rye for a long time. I think this is an awesome way for her to be rolling out into mainstream publishing. I hope this book sells a million copies. I'm not going to threaten to eat James Patterson if it doesn't, but it deserves to. Um, so if I think if you're new to romance and you want to read something that is you know fresh and new and takes place like right now in the world, it's a great way to start. It's Hate to Want You by Alicia Rye. Nice. Yeah, it's so good. I just love her. And I was reading it on the plane home, actually, though, which every time I read romance on the plane, I feel like like I'm getting away with something. You know, like <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> Except the person sitting next to you. Like, give me a... 
It's like, give me a tiny bottle of Jack Daniels. Those little airplane bottles of booze feel so illicit to me. I don't know why, but it makes me feel like I'm like really getting away with something like a tiny bottle of booze and a romance on my, well, I was reading it on my iPad. So I don't think the person next to me knew. Um, It was, it was a lot of fun. What's up next for you? My next title is called Gather the Daughters by Jenny Melamed. It's this fantastic dystopian, I don't even know what word I want right now, just fantastic. Um, It's a little bit like The Handmaid's Tale. It's a little bit like The Unit. It's a little bit like The Giver. It's a little bit like Never Let Me Go. Altogether, it's fabulous. It takes place on an island. There is an island off a supposed ruined nation. And many, many generations ago, ten men decided to come over to this island. And they are called the Wanderers. And now the the offspring of the Wanderers, the men, are the only people who are allowed to ever leave this island. And like I said, it's been going on for generations um, there's all these like old fashioned rules and there's a religion that they follow and their views on women are so antiquated and not great. Um, everyone has to get married and family can only have two children and you of course want to have a boy cause you want the husband to be happy and you want his family to be happy. Um, so women who fail to have male offspring are encouraged to drink the final draft. Um, And the elderly, once their children have had children, they are encouraged to drink the final draft and everyone is recycled into the ground. Um, And there's a custom when girls hit puberty that they now participate in what is called the summer of fruition, at which the end of they are considered adults and have to choose a husband to get married and immediately start having children. Um, And some of the girls are excited about this, and some of them are terrified. And so they pick husbands, and they get pregnant, and then they're not allowed to hang out with their friends anymore. Like, so if you you experience puberty before your best friend, like, that's it. You don't get to see her anymore. It's all done. And there's, like, the three main characters, there's... Um, One girl whose father is a wanderer, and each wanderer has a specific task and sort of, like, information that they keep, and he is the keeper of books. So he has a library, and she reads all about the the way they call the the country that they came from, the wasteland. She learns all about stuff that happens on the wasteland, but he's, he tells her that she's not allowed to share any of that information with anyone else. Like, it's a secret that she's reading these books in the library. And one of the other characters is a young girl who is now expecting her first child, and she's very certain that it's a girl, and she's very sad about this because she doesn't want her daughter to live the kind of life that she had. And another one of the characters is a 17-year-old girl who has been starving herself for years because she doesn't want to go through the change. She doesn't want to experience the summer of fruition. Like, she's rebelling. She doesn't want to have a husband. She doesn't want to have a baby. Um, So she's, like, starving her body to keep it from happening. Um, And one of the other girls in the community tells her a secret that terrifies her and it prompts her to lead a rebellion of the children on this island. And, you know, are they going to escape? Are they going to overthrow the the adults? Like, what's going to happen? It's really good and scary and fantastic and more adjectives that I could use now. (laughs) Um, But... 
yeah, I, I feel like I've run out of words. But it's, like, if you like, you know, like I said, like, Handmaid's Tale, if you like that dystopia, it's really well done. I mean, it yes, it has a little bit of, like, all these other books, but at the same time, it's, you know, wholly original. And it's called Gather the Daughters by Jenny Maltman. It sounds right up my alley. Oh, yeah. I, I just assumed that you had read it for some reason. I thought you had, but... I have it, but you know what comes next. I haven't read it yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well... Okay, Lib. So, let me tell you about our next sponsor, because I read it. I recommended it two shows ago? Last show? I don't remember. It's The Disappearances by Emily Bain Murphy. And it's a Houghton Mifflin Harcourt book for young readers. And it's so, so good. Let me tell you what it's about. Every seven years, something disappears in the town of Sterling. Reflections? Dreams? Colors? When Ayla arrives, she learns that the town is cursed to lose experiences that weave life together, and the theory is that Ayla's deceased mother, Juliet, is to blame. Ayla sets out to clear her mother's name with the help of George, whose goofy charm makes him a fast friend, Bees, the enigmatic violinist who writes poetry on her knees, and William, whose pull on Ayla's heart terrifies her. The Disappearances is a bewitching tale full of intrigue and dread that will leave you entranced. And... It's absolutely true. I loved it. I, I ate it right up. It's just really fun. It reminded me a little bit, like, the. it takes place in the early 1900s, or it reminded me a little bit of, like, the places in Tuck Everlasting, which is a classic. If you haven't read it, read it right now. There's some magic going on. It's just such an interesting concept, and it's really fun. Like, as you read along, they're trying to figure out, like, what is going to disappear from the town next. And it's just really great. So, again, it's called The Disappearances by Emily Bain Murphy. We will have a link to it in the show notes. And we thank HMH for sponsoring. My next pick this week is a book that I read and loved last summer. I think it is the perfect summer novel. It's just a great novel in general. But, like, if you're on a highway that looks like a parking lot sometime soon and you're on your way to vacation, this is a really good book to take with you. It's The Inseparables by Stuart Nadler. This is about three generations of women in the Oliphant family. Um, the oldest is Henrietta. And within the last year, she lost her husband and almost all of her money, and she she is about to become rather infamous um, because she has spent her whole life trying to get away from the embarrassment of this book that she wrote several decades past called The Inseparables that at the time was like filthy and embarrassing. It was uh, the quote from the synopsis is critically despised bestseller. Um, so imagine like if E.L. James had not made a floppity jillion dollars, but had been like a truly a laughing stock in her time, kind of what she would be like when she were elderly and trying to just outrun that reputation for decades and decades. So that's Henrietta. Henrietta's daughter, Una, is um, middle-aged. She's moved back home ostensibly to help Henrietta sell the house, but it's really because Una is in the middle of getting divorced from her longtime husband, and he's a burnout. He was a corporate lawyer. Now he just smokes weed all the time. They can't quite connect. And then the third uh, generation of this family that is also going to have a crisis is uh, Una's daughter, Lydia. She's been away at boarding school, but they have to, like, she's been now expelled because a nude photo of her that she sent to a boy that she thought she could trust, who she could not trust, has gone viral. And as a teenager would feel, as anybody would feel in that situation, basically thinks her life is over. So the setup is that Henrietta, Una, and Lydia find themselves all 
in the house together. And then it gets worse because Henrietta makes a discovery about a secret that her now dead husband was keeping. Una has an affair that's pretty embarrassing. Lydia is trying to deal with this ex-boyfriend that revealed her photo to like everyone she knows and the internet, but who also is kind of torturing her by like, you know, social media terrorism and won't stop texting her. And the families are trying to figure out like, what the heck are they supposed to do, especially to protect this teenage daughter. But each of the women is figuring out who she is and how to come to terms with this crazy thing that's happening in their life. It's really funny. Um, each of the characters is funny and like fully realized in their own way, but the relationships that they have with each other, that like bickery, bantery kind of it's like filled with love, but it's also very complicated sorts of conversations that close families have is done so beautifully and so believably. It's just a really great novel um, against The Inseparables by Stuart Nadler, and it is out in paperback this week. Nice. Yeah, I loved it. So we had a busy weekend. You we and did. I. Um, on top of getting to hang out with you. I participated in the 24 and 48 readathon, which is where you pledge to read 24 of the 48 hours in the weekend. I was like, 48, what was 48 cats? 48, what? <laughs> I couldn't remember what the 48 stood for. <laughs> you read 24 books in a pile of 48 cats. That would be awesome. I could totally do that. So I read quite a few books. I got in my 24 hours and... I wanted to tell you about a few of them because I read some things that I loved so, so much. I'm late to the Paper Girls Party, the new Brian K. Vaughn comic, which is new, like, two years old now. I got the first two volumes, and it's awesome. It's Brian K. Vaughn, and it's illustrated by Cliff Chang, Jared Fletcher, and Matthew Wilson. If you like Stranger Things... You definitely like this. It's about four girls on a paper route who encounter some sort of alien people from the future. Um, so, so, so madly in love with Giant Days. Also late to the Giant Days party. It's by John Allison, Whitney Kogar, and Lisa Tremaine. Um, it's actually like the sixth collected volume is coming out in October. And I should say the third collected volume of Paper Girls is out in August. Um, but Giant Days is like three friends, these three young women who are at college in England, and just the usual, like, dealing with romance and school problems and parent problems and chemical problems, but it's, like, very, very funny and smart. Loved it so, so much. I read the graphic novel The 100 Nights of Hero by Isabel Greenberg, which is a, sort of like a bunch of different folk tales told it's about a woman named Cherry. Her husband is a horrible person and he makes a bet with his friend. He says that, you know, she's so loyal to him that no one could ever turn her head and he bets his friend that he couldn't seduce her in a hundred days. And his friend is like, what do I get if I do? And her husband's like, you can have my castle and you can have my wife. So he goes off for a hundred days and basically his friend is like, all right, here's the deal. Um, your husband doesn't think I can seduce you. We're going to do this now or we can do it later and you're not going to like it. It's it's horrible. Um, and so she's like, oh, no, what am I going to do here? Uh, and what he doesn't know is that she's in love with her maid named Hero. And Hero is a member of the League of Secret Storytellers. 
And so she starts telling this horrible man a story every night. And it keeps him so distracted that he wakes up the next day and he's like, oh, well, ugh, you know, t tomorrow night, definitely. Tomorrow night, this is going to happen. I'm going to win this bet. And so she just keeps telling him all these stories. And they're trying to figure out, like, how to keep him at bay and get to the end of the 100 days. It's it's fantastic. And the artwork is just absolutely incredible. Um, I read The River of Teeth, which is about man-eating hippos. But what I didn't know is that it's actually based on a real thing. Like, Sarah Gailey, the author, she writes at the beginning that in the early 1900s, late 1800s, the U.S. government had a plan to import hippos into the South. What? For meat. Yeah, like, this is a real thing. Like, for meat, and also to eat, like, these invasive plants, and they were just gonna, like, have hippo farms, and it was gonna be amazing. And it never actually happened. They never, they never implemented this plan, but she found some paperwork about it and decided to write this all, um, alternate history about how hippos came, and now there's, like, all these feral hippos and they eat people who fall in the water, and they're all over the rivers, and people also use them for, like, instead of horses. It's really cool. So, man-eating hippos, and there's the sequel coming out in a couple months, which is awesome. And the last one I wanted to tell you about is called The Freelance Paul Bearers by Ishmael Reed. This is actually a reread for me. I read it a long time ago, um, and I was happy to read it again. It came out originally in 1967. It's this sci-fi novella about a used car salesman named Harry Sam, who is also the ruler of a kingdom. He's been ruling this kingdom for like three decades. And then there's a rebellion led against him. It's basically just like the scathing satire of America at the time when it was written in 1967. Really funny, really smart, very short. So those were the highlights of my readathon. How about you? What do you got now? Well, the highlight, uh, well, the bookish highlight of my weekend, because um, I was in Portland, Maine, and we did a lot of outdoors things. I did not actually spend a lot of time reading other than my airplane time, was getting to go to Print Bookstore, which our friend Josh Christie owns, and we've talked about that um, on the show before. He co-owns it with Emily Russo, uh, Emily Murtaugh, Russo Murtaugh, um, who's really wonderful as well. And so I got to go shopping in like one of my best friend's new bookstores. And it was really exciting. And I managed to contain myself. But I picked up a bunch of things that, um, first, I picked up When Dimple Met Rishi by Sandia Menon, which uh, the Book Riot community loves and can't stop talking about. And I've been meaning to read it and meaning to read it and meaning to read it. So I've got it now. I'm one step closer. And then I picked up a couple of things that I had Josh hand sell to me, because uh, I do love a round of buy whatever the bookseller tells you. And it's extra great when the bookseller is one of the people who knows you the best in the world. Uh, so the first one is a collection of poems called Today Means Amen by Sierra de Mulder. And I haven't started reading it yet. Um, but she is a millennial writer. She is edgy. I've seen, you know, some of the work. Um, it's a little sexy, a little edgy, very, you know, grounded in the grit of life. Um, and she got famous on YouTube. So she also is a very um, seasoned and powerful performer of her work. Um, and I think that that's maybe when I first 
became familiar with it at all was probably like Josh posted a video of her from YouTube. And I was like, this is great. Um, so I'm really looking forward to expanding that my, like building my poetry collection because I'm reading my way very quickly through Mary Oliver and I'm going to be out of nature poems to read soon. So something a little bit different there with today means amen. Uh, then I also picked up wedding toasts. I'll never give by Ada Calhoun years ago before book riot even existed. Um, Josh and I co-hosted a podcast called book rages with our friend Jen Northington, who now works with us at Book Riot. And one of the things that Josh read that he was the first one to recommend it to me is a book that I love that I'm not sure I've talked about on all the books yet called I Married You for Happiness by Lily Tuck. Um, and that's a lovely, quiet novel that is that all takes place on the one night that this woman's husband has died. And she's like sitting with his body through the night, waiting for the people to come and take him away. And she's reflecting on their life together and on the good things and the bad things and the secrets that she kept and the things that she never told him, but maybe that she wishes she had and sort of the questions that she has about what his interior life was really like. And it's just like for a novel, I think the truest reflection of kind of the mystery of living with like how intimate your life can be living with someone else, but also how they remain such a mystery to you because humanity is amazing like that. Um, anyway, this book, Wedding Toast I'll Never Give by Ada Calhoun, is supposed to kind of do the same thing. Um, it's an expansion of a modern love essay that she wrote for the New York Times. And it's a like part memoir essay-ish look at the complexity of marriage, which she says, what a burden and what a gift. Um, and a look at not what does it mean to get married? Like we hear plenty about, you know, getting married and plenty of things at the wedding toast about like, you know, bliss and having a soulmate. And I'm so glad you found each other. But how do you actually stay married? And how does that hard work look like? I've just heard it's really really fantastic. Um, I did read and recommend Hourglass by Danny Shapiro a couple of months ago. If you liked that, this is probably in the right vein for you as well. I trust Josh on this one. So that's Wedding Toasts I'll Never Give by Ada Calhoun. And I picked up something else, but I can't remember what it is and I don't have it because they're shipping it to me. So maybe next time. Have the money. Oh, that would be good. Um, maybe next time I'll have a surprise book that <laughs> I was like, oh, right. I remember buying that. I kind of went into a fugue state of like, here's my credit card. What should I buy? Yeah. Um, but it was a wonderful shopping trip and I'm really excited to read all of those. So that is our new titles and our potpourri. What are you going to read next? Well, I went there a couple times last week because I, I did my book birthday shopping there. Um, and I only managed to buy two books that I already owned, which is really good for me. Oh. Um, I always go in, like, I always go into the bookstore, like, with a short list, and then I also, like, add some things, and when I go off script, that's when I hit trouble. So I managed to buy some books in paperback that I already had in hardcover. <laughs> um, but I have this giant birthday stack of books, but today in the mail, I got two books that I don't know that I can resist. One is No Time to Spare, Thinking About What Matters. It is a new book coming out from Ursula K. Le Guin. Of, it's nonfiction with an introduction by Karen Joy Fowler, which looks amazing. And I also got Don't Live for Your Obituary, Advice, Commentary, and Personal Observations on Writing 2008 to 2017 by John Scalzi. So I think I'm going to hit these two nonfiction books first. How about you? 
I have not decided. Um, like as we are recording, it's Monday evening. My parents are going to be here in like an hour and then I'm going to be spending the rest of the week with them and my sister and her husband and my nephew and Bob at a lake in Southern Virginia on a little bit of a family vacation. And I have not packed my books yet. So who knows what's <laughs> going to happen? I'll probably take When Dimple Met Rishi. Um, I did not actually get to start Goodbye Vitamin, which I mentioned last week. So maybe I'll take both of those. And then I got to figure out what I'm going to read for next week's show. So anything could happen. It's true. And I kind of like it that way. little surprise in my reading life is good every now and then. Um, so that is our show this week. It feel it really does feel like I just talked to you since I just saw your face two days ago. <laughs> it's, it's just true. such a treat. <laughs> Thank you to our sponsors, Talenti, Gelato, and Sorbetto. To Third Love, go to thirdlove.com slash books to get your free 30-day trial with one of their 24-7 t-shirt bras. And to The Disappearances by Jenny Melamed. We'll have a link to all of those in the show notes. And of course, you can find the book wherever books are sold. If you want to drop us a line, you can do that at all the books at bookriot.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you've got a minute to rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts, we would certainly appreciate that. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.